Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome my friend John Younger, VP of Gaming and Esports at Pivot Agency. He's a really good friend of mine. We've done deals in the esports space together. And what I've learned most from him is building relationships and networking in the space. I think you're going to learn a lot from him as well. Let's talk to John. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, excited for another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast, and it's my pleasure to have my very good friend, John Younger, joining me. Welcome, man. I'm so happy to be here with you. I mean, you know how many times I've I've asked, hey, when am I going to be on your podcast, man? I think every time a podcast is released (laughs) (laughs) and it's so funny. Like we're, we're saying right before this, look at us, look at us. It's, it's super funny to see like from a career arc, like where you'll end up and the good people, I think you end up doing business with each other or doing things together over and over again. And that's been our story. Oh, hundred percent. So the way that you and I met, so I was at GameStop and you had just come aboard at Infinite Esports Entertainment. There was just the acquisition of Optic Gaming and the Houston Outlaws. And then I think there were a couple other brands as well, right? Yeah, we had a, it would have been Obey and Allegiance with uh, right. Kid Connor, as I call him. Kid Connor, I love that dude. Yeah. Got to catch up with him soon. And so one, one thing that I love to share with our audience and talk about, I want to talk about your role at Pivot. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about nurturing these business relationships, because that's what you and I think have done both effectively in our careers. And it's what's enabled us to stay really good friends for a number of years now. Like we have moments where we're on the the phone strategizing about a project one of us is working on. Yep. Sometimes you're at my house or <laughs> on the pool table competing at a high level. Where I'm blowing you up at night. Hey, man, I got this idea. What do you think of this? <laughs> exactly. And then other times we're doing business together, you know? And so we're always helping each other out. And I know this has been very successful in your career. And I've talked to a number of other people who've worked with you. And everybody says the same thing about like, Josh is a good dude. I love working with him. And we have a great relationship. So why don't you tell me, number one, how did you kind of develop this? Did you learn mm-hmm. this from somebody? I would say 100% would be my father. I call him Neon Leon, but Leon Younger. He was, I mean, I'd hear him. He actually had a cell phone, like with, with the cord, with the bag in the car when, wow. when we were kids. Yeah. And I think it was like 25 cents a call or whatever, but Ballin'. I, mean, I, I have an identical twin brother and a, a sister, but we'd be in the, in the car and we knew every single time he had a call, it was going to be important. But really it was just kind of him. I could never tell even as like in the backseat, if he was talking to a friend or if it was a business person, oh, wow. like a colleague or, or someone he was working with. And I think I kind of picked that up naturally from listening to his calls and hearing how he communicated. And it was usually after, after five o'clock was when he was doing those calls, right? which is something that I think I've, I've bugged some people in the industry. I know with, with a late <laughs> night call, but this is it's true. awesome. Like I, I love just connecting with people and talk, talking about stuff. Yeah, so it sounds like you learned that, you saw it uh, firsthand from a young age. And I think it's something that I've realized through my career is I've met people who are super important, sometimes a celebrity or just somebody I look up to or just a new person who I'm, I'm generating a new relationship with is people are just people. And we have these titles, maybe we have experience, maybe you are, people see you as more significant or whatever. But ultimately, we have the same core needs. We want to be treated with respect. We want to work with great people. And when you connect on that level, oftentimes too, when you get past that, can I take a selfie with you or whatever, you're going to gain a much uh, deeper relationship. Oh, hundred percent. I think that's like, I mean, even in our case, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't living full-time here in, in Dallas at that time. Oh, that's I true. was coming yeah. back and forth between Charlotte North Carolina and, and, and Texas staying at the Hyatt house over here by <laughs> right. the Frisco Rough Riders. Yes. And I, I think that's kind of like where me and you kind of bonded too. It was like, we went out, I was kind of new to the space, the, the area and the right. space and, and, and a lot of ways. I mean, it was right. I had maybe about six months in Yeah, and went and saw what we saw a Rocket League 
Rocket League match. <laughs> we did. Nirvana. Nirvana. Yep. I think it was just really cool to connect with you, though, because, I mean, obviously GameStop, I mean, I mean, we're about the same age. Right. So Pretty close. I mean, I remember getting getting games there and yeah, should even go into Toys R Us and get in the pulling the little sleeve out of the thing and then you had to go to the counter and get your little yeah. your cartridges. A lot of nostalgia going oh, on there. Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, one thing I think, too, was that when we would have these these business meetings, right, mm-hmm. We it was probably at least six months that we were going back and forth. We're saying, okay, does this deal make sense? No. Does this deal make sense? Maybe. And really going through this process of how can Infinite at the time solve the needs for GameStop that we had and to add value both ways. And I think one thing, one probably core reason why that deal worked out was because after these calls, sometimes we'd be very far apart on either sides of the table of where we were from a relationship or partnership standpoint. And you and I would get on the phone and just, it was real. Yeah. Right. It was like, John, I can't, we can't do this. Like it's got to be here. And you might say, well, John, we can't come there either. And, and, and because we had this friendship and this connection, we're able to get through all this business BS and get down to, and let's find a way to make it work and get yeah. creative. I mean, it's right? like all about solutions. I mean, ultimately yeah. like we both were, would succeed if when the partnership succeeded. I mean, yes. it's not a partnership if you don't succeed and right. I succeed. That, that doesn't work. So yeah. I think that's where kind of like me and you would, and we'd bro out. I'd be like, <laughs> we'd have some laughs about, about after some of the meetings or calls and we would, I'd be like, Who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy chiming in. But yeah, I don't know. Like it was just, it was, it was. Very, I think it was easy, easier for me and you on some of this stuff because, like, you, you've been in partnerships even outside of like gaming or and doing partnerships. Well, I've had a lot of skateboarding. Career. I had a lot of sales experience, and so yeah. I hadn't had like a, a typical partnership role, but I had been a brand ambassador. And the way skateboarding marketing works is it's really influencer marketing and partnerships. hundred percent. So I hadn't had that, I don't know, I guess the official education on partnerships, but I had a lot of, you know, learning on the streets, I guess you could say, that have served me well in the, in the long run. Once I learned, I didn't know all the terminology and stuff, mm-hmm. but once I learned those things, I was like, oh, I've been doing this for a decade. Well, I think. And same with you. I think though, from your perspective, because you were actually an influencer professional skateboarder sure. i mean you had a lot of influence i mean i like in gaming and esports a lot so kind of the time of that we're in like from that x games days with all right. those brands coming in it was all x cult <laughs> generation x stuff right doing all that yeah and it's very similar because it's the same youth audience and it was all about i don't know it was, it was fun it was just like yeah raw and it was right. like from your end you also needed partners, though, in your professional career to do what you did, what you loved and what you were great at. I mean, without. Absolutely. I mean, I've, you've taught me some about about skateboarding, but what are like the, the trucks? You get a truck. Yeah. The truck trucks, sponsor. Yeah. yeah truck. you, you got all the different categories. You tape. Grip tape. Grip tape. Yeah. We're almost there. You want to guess another uh, one? <laughs> I can't remember. The board. The board. Yeah. We call it the deck, but we, you can call yeah. it the board, too. Yeah. Called the board too. But yeah, no, yeah, my career, I wasn't officially pro, but I did get paid to skateboard for a, a number of years. And people go back and forth as for this the distinction of pro. So I don't want to get into all that. Yeah. But you're exactly right. I needed companies to physically fund what I was doing. And if I had more sponsors, then I could do that full time. Mm-hmm. There's a time I was on tour for six months straight. It was incredible. There's other times where I'd have somebody either cover my rent or just pay me a little bit, or just pay me in product, and then I'm selling that at the skate park. So I think something, yeah, you talk about different perspectives, and I want to get into your perspective of traditional sports versus Mm esports. But one thing that's really helped me is having been that influencer, if you will, on the other side of the equation, is now that I'm on the the business side, and I'm facilitating these things, I see it from their perspective, and I see it from both, and understand that give-get. Yeah, but it's also the authenticity, though, that you get. Right. 
Well, and and honestly, you know, I'm familiar with, you know, the gaming community. You know, obviously, I'm a member of the gaming and esports community. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of my insights in gaming and esports come from the skateboarding world. And I always say, if you think gamers are hard to reach, try reaching a skateboarder. And the biggest difference, too, is like, I think is gamers have a desire to go mainstream and skaters do not. So skaters are like, leave me alone. This is bias for us. Gamers are like, oh, if you validate me in the ways that are meaningful to me, I accept that. And I do have a desire to be accepted by mainstream culture. Where skateboarders are like, we're not mainstream culture. We're in the back alleys getting the handrails. Leave us alone. Yeah, counterculture. Yeah. And I would argue that that's the biggest difference in the growth of the space, too, is you could be a core skateboarder and you could say, hey, this is our own. We don't want growth. But if you're if you want the industry to growth, you would say that would hold you back that mindset. Mm-hmm. What I think has catapulted esports is when brands understand, and I want to get to your insight on this too, but when brands understand how to effectively engage the community and then they're embraced, those dollars funnel into space, and then gamers have no problem backing Chipotle and what are these other brands? Turtle Wax and these other, you know larger, more mainstream brands. And so, you know, you've had some experience with this and I want to talk a little traditional sports and esports with you because you have both sides of that. Yeah. Uh, but what do you see as a big difference of what gamers respond to versus it being a little easier to engage traditional sports fans? I would say they, I mean, they all, they all respond the same. They respond the same way. Okay. It's just, you need, it's different assets or different assets. It's a different narrative on how to reach them. And you have different, I mean, channels. And right. there's a lot of different, I mean, there's a lot of stakeholders in gaming and esports. Right. So like when you're trying to reach fans or, I mean, even just, it's a community. I mean, right. It, I almost feel like it's almost like European soccer, like being a part of a soccer club. Like that, that's a tight knit group. Right. And I mean, you can't, you, if you're going to go talk to, Manchester United fans or that right. club and you partner with them and then you have Liverpool sure. over here. Yeah. I and mean, you can't really, I mean, that's a tough one to hit. That's like Yankees, can't Red Sox having like the same part, like some of it. You got to pick know? and choose there. So it's, for sure. I think that's, I started my career and from a, the traditional sports side was with, yeah, in motorsports. So I was with, I started with Red Bull when they came to the United States really at, at the start. They, one of their big initiatives was uh, racing. Okay. So I started with them as an intern and kind of worked my way from there into racing actually. Super cool. Yeah. And I don't know, it was weird cause I always wanted to be like a, like a GM of a baseball team. I, dude, I wanted to be Billy Bean, man. Yeah. I want like, you don't know who Billy Bean is. Moneyball. Movie right. or the book. Oakland Athletics. So I wanted to be yeah. like that. And then when I got into the space, I really enjoyed the, I mean, might've been because I wasn't a, a massive race fan, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed actually hosting people like guests at the track and like getting to know some of our other partners, whether it be we had Cisco at the time. And I'm like 22 year old kid. And right. I mean, I mean, Cisco does some amazing tech work. It's crazy. On yeah. They're one of the biggest companies in the world. And absolutely. getting to like meet all these people and actually build a relationship. So like I'm talking like with the CTO of Cisco, like I think he was like employee number four and like, wow. From he, I mean, we could, we could like call each other and bro out. I just call him to check in and be like, Hey, what's up, yeah. man? I'm going to, I'm, I'm just moved to North Carolina. I'm going to Raleigh. Let's meet up. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like what was really cool about how I learned more about the partnership side in sports. Right. And that's, it's the community still. I mean, whether the, it's, I mean, NASCAR's on TV or whatever motorsports are. Right. But it's also like a lot of the deals that got done. I mean, I mean, a caterpillar massive machine right isn't the guy in, in the fans isn't like going to be able to afford that right it's millions of dollars so why are they investing in it well they're doing it to host i mean all these dealers hospitality, hospitality right? stuff so that was their okay. angle and then you had and there was m&m so that was like a consumer cpg product they wanted to figure out how to way to activate and hit nascar moms and and dads right. at the grocery store so it's point, like point of sale things right and then 3m and and Dow, it's like, yeah. Can I buy a 3M? 
<laughs> I mean, you can't know what their products are right. like probably on the screen here or incorporated in this. So it was kind of well, sticky notes. Yeah. So like I, that was really cool was learning about like the business side and kept my mind engaged. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm ADHD, so I bounce hey. around a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it was just fun. Like the like the business side of sports is kind of competitive as well. It's the same, same Absolutely. thing. And particularly like you were talking about with skating, like, I mean, if there's no partners, you can't race. You can't afford to race. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I was actually talking with a, on a previous episode about like the reason we're able to do cool stuff is because we have money to do it. Yes, 100%. And you know who has money? Brands. And so we need brands to fund the cool things we want to do. But guess what? If they just fund the cool things we want to do and they don't get anything out of it, they're not going to continue to fund the cool things we want to yeah. do because they don't fund it for our own enjoyment. Yeah. So you have to understand both sides of the equation, I think. I think you under, have to understand, okay, what does the community need? Mm -hmm. The community needs their experiences enhanced in meaningful ways. So what matters to them? Do that, right? But on the other side, we can't just be community, solely community focused. The community has to understand that if we support the brands that support us, they'll continue to support us. Yeah. If we don't, that money's going to dry up really quick. Yeah. And so I think that's a little bit of what you're alluding to there is that understanding the business side as well as the, yeah, and the sports side. I think here's the most unique thing about, uh, this is what I love about the space. I mean, we've both been entrepreneurs yep. on things, but even like from an influencer standpoint, your own LLC in a sense as a streamer and for building out what you, what you want to do. Right. That's you. Right. Then you have an org. So you're learning business there. Brands want to connect with you. Yeah. You have organizations and then professional players. Yeah. Twitch, all of this stuff. And everyone needs to work together, but we all are still businesses. Even from, even, I mean, the people that are watching the, the stream, like influencers are watching your favorite, YouTube channel or whatever, you're contributing to the community by doing so. Right. So, I mean, it's a big, I mean, it's business. It's, but it's also like, it's fun business that using the term business doesn't mean it's like, no, of course it's not, not authentic or anything. I think like when you're transparent about what everybody needs, mm -hmm. it's super helpful because if a business is going to not pretend that they need an ROI, of course they do. But if you're, but you have to understand how to get there. And the, the way that you get an ROI in the esports space is by supporting the community first, being patient. Yes. I think categorizing things correctly is more brand marketing than transactional. Yep. I think at some point, let's say you're M&Ms, I think at some point then you can sell M&Ms directly. But if you just go to the community, you're like, hey, we're hawking M&Ms. People yeah. would be like, get out of here. Yes. But if you say, hey, I want to help you have a cool experience at an event, or I want to enable you to compete and to make money even though you're an amateur gamer, or this content is super cool and interesting, or these in-game items mm -hmm. are unique and exclusive and they're provided to you by M&Ms, then you have, you know, the only problem you're going to have is your M&M inventory yes. because everybody's going to be buying them, right? I mean, it's not that simple, of course. But yeah, I, I, I think we were stating a little bit earlier, what I was getting from that is that traditional sports and esports have a lot of commonalities. There's a lot of things that can be, can be pulled from the traditional space mm -hmm. applied to esports. And I think the biggest differences are probably the ecosystem's a little more complex. Yes. Very fragmented. So, right. Yeah, very it's very fragmented. fragmented. You have the whole content creator piece, which is way different than traditional mm -hmm. sports. You have, I always, the way I would put it is imagine if on the Lakers, in addition to LeBron and these other players, the team, you also have one of those guys that just makes dunk videos. I was going to say that. I was gonna, <laughs> seriously, I was going to say, I don't know if you remember, and one mixtapes. Of and, course. And one, I mean, I love, dude, I love those dude, guys. The professor? Yeah, I the still professor. watch that dude. I He's still doing guy. it. He's still I out mean, there. And skip to my Lou. I mean, those are like, I mean, that was like pre jackass days too. Okay. I mean, that was like, I can't remember the name. It was like C2K or I can't, it was something like that. Yeah, but yeah. they had, I remember watching those videos. That is 
I mean, you have Michael Jordan and then you have Anne one. Correct. And it's that's the space. I mean, you can't just say, oh, this is basketball and it's only Michael Jordan. Right. And then another way that I've really heard the space articulated really well is people have a hard time understanding the teams. And OK, you have multiple teams under multiple teams. The best way to structure it I've heard is think about college athletics. Yeah. University of Texas, for example, or let's say Sacramento State, alma mater, shout out, go Hornets. Yeah, we're the Hornets. Okay. So don't laugh. So Sacramento State has, you know, a basketball team, a baseball team, a football team, a volleyball team, a swimming team. In the same way that Envy, for example, has, and I'm not, these aren't all their teams, but just for example, you know, CSGO, Call of Duty, Paladins, Overwatch, yeah. et cetera, right? So I think that brings some clarity but that's one of the differences of, okay, the ecosystem's different, and then you have this content creator piece mm-hmm. that's a little different. You have a couple of different channels that are different. So Twitch, obviously, which traditional sports are kind of moving into yes. from a streaming standpoint. Everything just much more digital, much more social media integration. But other than that, I think there are so many best practices from the traditional sports space that can be pulled into the esports space to improve those business practices. Can you talk a little bit about some things that you learned in traditional sports that you've pulled into esports that have helped you in your esports career? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say probably from the biggest thing is when a brand invests, they want, I mean, you, you've I've listened to your podcast, <laughs> ROI. Right. They, I mean, they want to make the partnership to work. They, they need to sell soap or shavers. Right or right. whatever whatever their products so, or services yeah the reporting piece is big i think reporting Report. and communication i mean for for anyone out there that's working with like as a really small org or a small group i highly recommend you guys figure out how you can show value to your partners and right. that's like even just doing clips sending it in saying, Hey, here's our view count. This is what we did. Is there anything that like we can do different? I think that asking questions, like, I mean, once a deal's done, doesn't mean the deal's done. Like, I think I, we talk more afterwards, which yeah, now it's time to do the work. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that is one thing that's not like just plug and play. It's not plug and play. Yeah. That activation piece is really big because number one, Okay, you do the deal, you have the press release, all the things, everybody's excited. Now you got to deliver on that. Yeah. And one of the things that we've seen, I think, in esports is it can be a black hole from a data perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of these non-endemics, they're, work, they're used to working with traditional sports where you've got big agencies running these things. So they, they're reporting weekly on all the metrics that yeah. are being produced. I mean, all the time. Like, Exactly. I mean, you can get it. Yeah. And I, I think one of the challenges of the esports industry is simply that you have young people who don't have as much experience as you see in older, older industries who are running the industry. Mm-hmm. And there's pros and cons to that, 100%. right? Like, yes. like I, I think the pros are, okay, you're not stuck doing the same old thing, saying this is how we've always done it because you haven't done anything for that long. Yeah. Number two, you can be the agent of change too. So I, I look at like college athletics. Like I think esports is one of those pieces that has been pushing uh, organizations like the NCAA to say you need to pay people, right? Because in esports, if you haven't made any money by the age of your fifth, uh, 15, you're not any good. What were we? I mean, why didn't we get on this, man? I mean, I got some mad skills at Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Mario Kart's like a. Is anybody getting? Is anybody getting uh, college scholarships for Mario Kart right now? If so, call John Younger. Yeah, I got you. He needs tips to, and tricks. You can go back for your masters. You can get ready. a PhD. I'm ready. You're ready. Okay, <laughs> I'm. A, I'm gonna put that down. I think the other thing too is you know one thing I've thought about is with traditional sports. Like you have a lot of traditional sports franchises who own these esports orgs, right? Mm-hmm. So a few of them, let's see, is you got Cronky. Well, the Overwatch League teams are, Probably, many yeah. of them are yeah. owned by traditional sports. So I think Cronky owns the, which one? It's the terrible example, obviously. But obviously, <laughs> let's talk about NRG, right? You've worked with yeah. NRG a lot. I mean, and so. I mean, yeah, Andy Miller with the Kings, you got, I mean, 
Robert Kraft. I mean, with right. Kraft Group, Kraft Sports Group. Right. I mean, you have Neil Liebman who who owned Infinite. Yep. Now and, with Immortals, and I mean, it's the list goes on. I mean, cranky, as you say. Right. right. <laughs> I think from the perspective of even the traditional sports teams and organizations, yeah. the difference is it's not apples to apples. Right. So reporting is the same and all that, but the value is different than just what yes. it was before. Cause it's not on a cable network TV where you have, if it's on cable or ABC or whatever you have, I mean, I'm from Indiana, my, my Indiana pays for my team. I'm sure in, right. the, in market there, like all of the, People who buy media on it, they know the reports, they know the ratings. Right. If you have signage inside the stadium, they know that. Suites, hospitality. That's all local. Yes. When you're talking global and you're talking exactly. streaming, it's a lot, it's yeah. a lot of a different, and it it's seems, a different ballgame. It just seems like kind of foreign. So they don't know it. it. That's, but it's the same. Sure. You still have an audience, you're still trying to reach it, but you just need help trying to figure out how to do it. Right. And I think too, there's some different metrics as well. And I think what esports orgs can do is because some of the metrics are really hard to track down because, yeah. you know, programmatic television in, in arena stuff, you know, there's some pretty standard metrics there. Then you get into this new space and it's like, well, we don't have that metric. This is more difficult to measure, et cetera. And I, I think the, you know, the knowledge share to our audience here is simply Rather than reporting nothing <laughs> yes. or very little, identify what you can report. And also you need to really set the expectations for the client. And this is something that I'm big on. And it can be tough because I've talked to companies who are like, okay, I'm an insurance company. I need 15,000 signups on my website. It's like, okay, that's not going to happen. You're going to wish you never got in the space if you go with that message and you're going to just hurt everybody as far as it's going to be unsuccessful partnership. So it's going to flop. You're going to get bad PR. You're going to be blacklisted. The industry and the community is going to be less likely to accept another insurance company. And all your CMO buddies are going to hear, hear your word of mouth about how is a flop and they're not going to invest in our space. Yes. So as a result of that, let's set some expectations on maybe one day. Can we drive site traffic? Absolutely. If you do it in a super cool way that adds meaningful value to the to the community. But I think those KPIs are, and if you have any others, I'd love to hear them. But I think it's, you know, awareness, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Affinity, positive sentiment. And you focus on those. You could focus on, you know, growing your social channels. A big one is, you know, measuring that that sentiment on social as far as what are the comments under your posts. Yeah. Engage, uh, the engagement rates. I mean, right. In gaming, and I mean, it's They're ridiculous, it's, right? It's awesome when you do it the right way. Yes, and it's because everybody's so engaged digitally, and you're dealing with a digitally native audience with very digital influencers who are all used to commenting, liking, sharing. And then, I mean, I used to work at GameStop, so I've seen the good and the bad. Yeah. <laughs> there is some rough sentiment on the social channels, and I will say, shout out. So, Joe King. He's the social media manager at GameStop and he does a tremendous job. And when he came aboard and he changed the tone mm -hmm. and he started posting a lot more memes, things that were, it used to just be, Hey, here's a new sale. Here's a game coming yeah. out. It was all very transactional. He starts talking to the community. He developed a voice of his role too, the social media guy. Every, I remember there was some point where, I don't know, there was, there's a, a bit of a cluster, if you will, that happened over there. I don't remember which one exactly, but it really was rough on social media. Yeah. And he made a post about when you're the social media guy at GameStop. And that post received probably more positive sentiment and interaction than any it, before it, because people were like, it humanized the brand, mm -hmm. but it also said, hey, social guy. We know you had to hit send on that tweet. Yeah. And maybe we're not a big fan of your corporate overlords, but we appreciate you and what you go through to share gaming and the passion that we, that we share. So that's super interesting. Dude, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm talking too much, man. Who's man, interviewing no. who? Hey, who? easy, man. <laughs> so, hey, let's go back a little bit with yeah. your your career story. Because uh, we didn't start with that this time. Tell me a little bit. You mentioned a little bit about how you started with Red Bull and mm-hmm. going through that. I know you're a Colts fan, you know. I'm, I'm a Hoosier. You're a Hoosier. You're, you're, you're a Pacers fan. Pacers, yeah. I don't remember when the, the last championship was, but we can talk about that yeah. a little later. You know, the... Uh, but take me through that career journey. Where'd you, where did you start to get to eventually that, esports? And I want to talk a little bit about the, the start of your esports career as cool. well, because I think that's Definitely. interesting. So I played baseball in college. Yeah. Shout out to DePaul University. There you go. It's DePaul, A-U-W. Okay. In Indiana. And they call it that the Sacramento State of the Midwest, yeah. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> More like the Harvard of the Midwest. Okay. Okay. Potato, potato. But what position did you play in baseball? I, I was an outfielder. Cool. Yep. And how field. fast are they pitching at that level? Uh, I mean, it, it, it hit above 90. Okay. I mean, average though was upper 80s. So. For me, baseball was probably my least best sport. And I played through freshman year of high school. And there's a jump. Dude, oh, big time. From junior high to high school <laughs> is terrifying <laughs> if you're not one of the best on the team. I remember... I played second base too. So okay. there's some heaters coming in, oh, you yeah. know, and I remember, yeah, I was on defense, second base and line drive, just like blindly shot my mid out. Good thing it hit my mitt instead of my teeth. But then I was so shaken. I had to throw to home plate. Completely missed it, you know? And I think at that point it was like, it's time to go skateboarding. That sounds, <laughs> Full time. That sounds, that sounds like my, my first CSGO experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, like, whoa, shots whoa, fired, literally. Uh, this isn't for me. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. The, no, at, at DePaul, I needed an internship for, my, so for the degree I was going for. Yeah. And with baseball being, I mean, summer league and college, summer leagues are, are massive all over the Midwest and Cape Cod League and everywhere. So yeah. it was really hard for me to find something that was like, would interest me. Mm. And I mean, internships, internships are the most, I mean, man, I learned more from that. And I, even now, like I encourage anyone, mm. man, if you, I mean, if you can get a foot in the door, take it. Yes. Take it. I think that's a huge thing. It's like, I mean, a couple things. Number one, there's no substitute for real world experience yeah. and relationships. Right. Is there anything else you learned as, as a result of that internship or doors it opened for you? Well, when the door opened, I, I was, I was nervous because like it was an unpaid internship. Yeah. I was like, man, it's going into my, I mean, I need money. Right. And I mean, very fortunate of my, my dad and my mom to say, Hey, no, don't pass on this. Cool. Cause I think I might've actually. I didn't if, do an internship. If, it, if they didn't say, no, yeah, it's okay. For exactly that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd look back and I mean, I'm so grateful that. So the, when you talk about relationships, the general manager of the, the, the racing team that had an IndyCar, he went to Roush Fenway. I was Roush racing at the time. Right. And became the, a general manager there. He was running, I think, uh, at the time, the Bush series and the truck series. Yeah. For the, for the organization. And I think, let's see, so I, f- I ended up following him over there like a year and a half later. Yeah. And I interviewed, interviewed for, I think the, the first job I interviewed there was for a PR role. Okay. And I wasn't, I wasn't that thrilled with it actually. It was interesting. I, cause it would, it would have been awesome. It was a great opportunity and I ended up turning it down. Yeah. Well, I th- I think that's one of the values of internships too, right? Is like actually doing the job that you thought you might want to do. Exactly. And I didn't want to do it. Right. Because of the day to day. I didn't want to do it. You think like, oh, PR, whatever in your mind mm-hmm. that is. Or maybe you just see like the surface level, but it's like, what are you doing behind the scenes? What are you doing eight hours a day? Yeah. And for me with market, this is what happened with marketing. I have a degree in marketing. Oh, I love marketing. I love strategy specifically. What I do not love are spreadsheets and measuring what you did in the last campaign. You know, we're talking about all this reporting and Mm -hmm. stuff. Like, like, I don't enjoy that stuff. Some people do, and they do it very well. Oh, yeah. 
what I learned through that process was I love business development because I love to create it from scratch. I love to find something that'll work and then build something that's great versus, I mean, sometimes in marketing you're stuck or PR, you're stuck with something that sucks and trying to make it look good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I call it polishing the turd. That's, that's one that's word for a, it. That's one of my North Carolina days, polishing the turd. Hey, you know, we've all had to do it. So yeah, sorry to interrupt. And, no, going. I didn't interrupt at all. This is like our conversation all the time. I feel like we're sitting playing pool right now. The we're, only difference is we don't have a, a pool table between us. We're just yeah. taking a break. Exactly. I think that was actually, now we're like going through this. I think that was like me turning that down and, and realizing it. That was probably the key in my career. Because mm. the next time then they're like, well, what would, what would you want to do? Yeah. And I was like, I'd like to be a part of your business development team. Yeah. And so I ended up the next year moving to North Carolina away from my family. I was like, I was the only one in my family that really didn't go oh, uh, away. Yeah. But right. it was, oh, it was awesome. Because like a week later, the Red Sox and Fenway Sports Group who own Liverpool yeah. right now and the Boston Red Sox, they bought 50% of Roush Racing. Oh, wow. So then it merged my baseball days. Perfect. From, from college, my passions for that with. Yeah with motorsports and, and NASCAR and I mean, we were the largest team. I mean, we had 17 NASCAR entries with one wow. organization. I think we had 49 partners Yeah, at one time. So I Holy mean, crap. when you think about what I learned, 49 partners, the management of 49 partners. Right. That's where my mind was. All spending. I mean, at that time I was, I mean, one of our, one of our smallest deals was probably $250,000. Wow. So when you think about, in our space, a lot of cash. I mean, that would go really far here in right. our space for orgs. I mean, but in NASCAR, that feel ain't cheap. No, <laughs> and it was. I mean, it was just insane. So, like, I think that when I was working on deals, it was the handoff, but also you never really handed it off. I mean, right. But also realizing too. I mean, I started when I was like, I was prospecting. So I was like, sure, cold emailing. Oh, I've been there. Yeah. And still there at times. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thankfully over LinkedIn and, and, and direct messaging. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like one of the coolest things because being able to, I guess, see like how a relationship started from an initial introduction note. Yeah. Asking for a call. Yeah. Then flying to wherever it was and making a pitch. I learned a lot about that. I think I learned also too is like in those meetings, I was fortunate that they, they allowed me to, I mean, fly in and get in a hotel room wasn't cheap for when you're the junior sales guy. Good point. And yeah. I got to go on all these pitches with, I mean, Jay Monahan, who is now the, I mean, he's the president of the PGA Tour. Wow. <laughs> he's the commissioner. Excuse me, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> but to Sam Kennedy, the CMO of the Red Sox now. To, yeah. I mean, just massive, massive. I mean, Vice chairman at Dow, who worked under Jack Welch. If you know business, you know Jack Welch. Right, Chickeny. Yeah, I, mean, I call that dude Uncle Joey, Joe Harlan, Hello uh-huh. Hoosier. But like, I got to meet all these people and be like, and they also move jobs. And I, what I learned from that though was, anytime you even if you're prospecting, you're yeah. not getting anywhere, mm. or like no responses, it, or if you finally get one and it's a no, you know how important it is to still bro out or like send like checking in notes and just not Absolutely. asking for anything. I learned not to ask. Right. And I, I didn't want to ask. I just kind of wanted to be like, man, this is really cool. This initiative you guys have going on. Yeah. And then my, my mind would run and be like, Hey, how could it work? How could this work for this? Given, given what I know this, like this marketing tool does. Yeah. And I think I just took that <coughs> same thing and I've, I learned a lot about it from, gaming and esports here it's that's where i think this when i say similarities that's similar to me absolutely it's still the same thing learn think about the space find solutions but also like be a be a community and be a friend like yeah i mean if if i'm gonna pitch you something or say hey you should be partner with my team if i don't continue to to stay in touch with you then why did i reach out to you to begin with yeah like well, and people hate when, you know, we talk about how, you know, the gaming community, esports community is very skeptical and, you know, being very transactional with them won't work. I would argue being transactional with just people doesn't work mm-hmm. because we, 
I personally, and I think most other people, we just don't respond to, you're only talking to me to get something out of me. Yeah. I've been in conversations where I've been in a networking event, Call of Duty event, actually. And I met somebody who I was really looking forward to meet. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's a big room and everything. And I don't want to say he didn't, you know, know who I was, but we were planning to meet up and we hadn't met in person before. So I don't think he, re- he didn't recognize me. Right? right. That's what I'm trying to say. And this dude just like looked through me in such a, you're below me. So below me. I mean, he was taller than me. Most people are, but, <laughs> but so insignificant, you know, and the next day I went to a brunch networking thing that this dude was at as well. And I ended up with having this great conversation with a guy there who's very significant. Next thing you know, Oh, John, Yo, what's should, up? you know, and it's like, dude, I, because I saw your cards that you only care about your own success and not about anybody other than you. I don't want to build a business relationship with you because I know which you you're not interested in a friendship or or a relationship outside of what's good for you. Yeah. I think what I've learned from a networking aspect is when you can provide people for other people mm. without asking anything. You, it's a, it's a long-term perspective. You provide value to them. Maybe it won't come back for years. But I'll say and maybe it'll come back in a different way than you thought. Yeah. Maybe it'll be word of mouth like, oh, you got to talk to John because John's a great guy to work with, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe a different or maybe it'll be very transactional, be very direct. Like, hey, John, now I have something for you. Yeah. The other thing I've learned is in businesses, especially with a big corporation, with partnerships, what could be a no today could be a yes tomorrow because of one conversation. Yeah. In fact, the GameStop Performance Center, Complexity Gaming, me and Daniel Hers, we facilitated that deal. And obviously, it's a broader team that brought it to fruition. But mm. it was me and him connected. And we did an episode about this where we got together. He knew GameStop didn't have any money at the time. But he wanted to make the connection just to make the connection. We got along great. Well, we just kept in conversation. I knew they were building an HQ. He knew we didn't have any money. One day... GameStop's getting out of sponsoring NASCAR out of 10 years. Well, we need to, we need a new partner who's going to do that. We can sell sponsorships through and all of yeah. these other things. Right. I called Daniel up. I was like, this is your moment. Let's put something together. And that was the deal that the day before. Like wasn't there at all. Not at all. No. One day later, large revenue deal, naming rights, multi-year deal, all these things. And the reason it worked is, is from both sides. Right. If I had not messed with him, you know, I wouldn't be aware of the opportunity. But to Daniel's credit, because even though he knew we didn't have budget to do a deal, he was still cool. He still kept in touch with me. And we did a deal that we're both very proud of. So I think, you know, that's something that I'll never forget is just. Yeah, if, if somebody says no to you. That, that doesn't have to be the end of the relationship. In fact, it should be the beginning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Something else that I've thought a lot about is simply just that long, like you're talking about, that long-term perspective of people going to other companies, right? Mm-hmm. You make a relationship. Okay, it's not a fit with you, you know, the racing team and me at, let's say, GameStop, for example. Right. But, oh, now you go to HyperX or you go to Xbox or whatever. We've built this relationship and now oh yeah, now there's like, something there. Now you're probably I'm coming to you be like, "Hey man, I'm in I'm in your world now." Right. <laughs> Can you help me out? Right. And then you I mean that's how you make friends and like I mean people helping people helping people. That's the way I look at deals. So if it's like in, our, in our instance I mean we were talking we were talking all the time and I right. and I know like you didn't have money. We still stay in touch. Yeah. And then I, through one of our partners Turtle Beach. Yep. They were like, hey, this is one of our biggest things. We're doing a big launch. They want to do some some co-marketing things with you guys. Yeah. That then re-engaged like, discussions with doing the team, like an org- organization deal. Right. Like, And that's without their, I mean, that's where it also is important <laughs> going back to like reporting on what your partner's needs. Sure. Turtle Beach 
gave us a great recommendation to you guys. And right. I, I feel like the best recommendation you could ever get is from if you're looking to partner with a organization or a streamer or anything, anything in the space or any, anything in sports. Right. Talk to a current partner of theirs or, or a few of them and you'll get a really good lay of the land. Absolutely. And, and we on, on the back end of our games, we had a new CMO come in as well. Frank. And kind of, yeah, Frank came, came and reallocated dollars and said, hey, customer experience, building, you know, positive sentiment with the community. This is important. And so there were multiple factors there that came together at the right time, which resulted in something having that would not have if, yeah, one of those factors, but I think most importantly, the relationship piece of that. Yeah. Something that I realized too, going from, I've talked a little bit about this before, but not a ton. When I went from GameStop to PRG, my role changed drastically as far as my relationship with people. Yes, because you went, you flipped. I flipped, dog. You went dark side. I went from being pitched <laughs> to pitching. Actually, I want to hear, I want to hear you go. I want to hear that. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. So this is my, this is my experience. Is, you know, so many people were pitching GameStop and I was the point of contact there for partnerships. I mean, you couldn't even keep up with all of them. Yeah. And everybody thought we had a ton of money to spend, especially after we did some deals. People were like, oh, they do have money. Yeah, it's but, the Halo deal. You finally entered with the team, I remember. Right. Yeah. We did, uh, yeah, we did Talks Gaming. And so that opened some eyes. But then when we did, you know, the five partnerships we did. Oh, man, I, I bet you're. Yeah. People like, oh, like, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah, I've got something for you. Well, you want to be honest with people. You don't want to waste people's time. Yep. But you also want to be respectful. And I won't uh, mention names here, but there was one partnership deal that was being pitched. It just wasn't a fit, you know, so we, we turned it down. But two weeks later, I was at PRG and I was going to that same person and saying, hey, what's up, man? Got a new gig here, you know, producing live events, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And... It just opened my eyes so much in that moment. I was very thankful that I hadn't been a jerk to this dude. Yeah. And just, or treated him like some, you know. Uh, kinda, yeah, kind of like. Kind of like that guy treated me. Say, yeah. we <laughs> by you, like, hey. Right. Yeah. But, you know, that was, that's just impressed on me the importance to treat every single person with respect. Because you don't know who you're dealing with tomorrow compared to who you're dealing with today. Mm -hmm. That person who's in your inbox who, hey, that doesn't mean do a deal that you don't have, that doesn't make sense for your business. That doesn't mean take more time than you should for something that should not be a top priority. Yeah. But you can still be transparent and you can still treat people with respect. And just think about, if our roles switch tomorrow, would this guy answer my phone call based on how I'm treating him today? Right? I love that. <laughs> no, I mean... That's hundred percent what it what it is. I mean, that's how you know. Keep you in check, man. Yeah, you gotta keep yourself in check sometimes. Absolutely, and especially in this space, it's a it's a checkmate game. It sure is. <laughs> well, before I let you go, I want you to give you an opportunity to share a little bit about Pivot. Okay, which yeah, is your definitely. new your new role. So, what, give us your title and tell us what your goal is in this new role and the type of people that should get a hold of you. Oh, definitely. So. I guess it's, I've been two and a half weeks on the job here. So you're a seasoned veteran. Yeah. yeah. So I'm VP of gaming and esports at Pivot Agency. They're actually based out of San Francisco. And awesome. They've been in, they've actually been doing a lot of business deals in the space previously for like the last three or four years. They've, I mean, this pre Overwatch, they were doing deals with NRG on some stuff and yeah. other orgs. And they were looking to expand their esports and gaming space. And I came, I guess highly recommended by some people. Thank right you, people, on. whoever you are. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, I, I love it. It's a, it's such a great fit. I think one thing I learned over the pandemic time, when, when I started doing my own thing, right, consulting, yeah. right, in, in esports and gaming, was I miss working with people. Mm. Like just that day to day. I mean, you can only pat yourself on the back so many times, man. It can get lonely <laughs> you know? at times. Absolutely, I, mean, I can relate uh, to that. Yeah, it was something that. I didn't really, I didn't need to, but as I started talking with them, man, like Pat Cassidy is their EVP yeah. of all their properties. And as I got to know him and 
some of the other members of their of their org. I was like, yeah, this is a perfect fit. Just, mm. I mean, I think they did, on one of the calls they described themselves described themselves as a collaborative agency. So cool. it's like we don't compete with we're we're out here just to make like make friends, help help brands come enter the space, yeah, and align them with good properties. So the deals actually extend. I mean, we don't want we don't right. want these big brands coming in and just it not working. Well, a big part of success in esports is your partner, your endemic partner. And what I've seen, I'm friends with a lot of people, a lot of different teams, a lot of different orgs. And what I've seen is some are more senior in their business practices than others. Some may have high engagement, high following, but when you look behind the curtain and you see what's happening from a business practices standpoint, they aren't keeping partners or they're not getting sponsors and partners initially because they don't have that capability in-house to fulfill and activate that properly. Yep. And so it's super important that who you work with, who your property is, whether that's a league, a team, a content creator or other, that they have those practices. And I would just encourage everybody listening to this podcast, definitely reach out to John at Pivot. I know that firsthand experience that you guys have those properties and that can be just as important as the strategy, yeah. right? And and really, it's not even so much about the properties in a sense. It's more about like, hey, we want to help brands enter the space and do it yeah. well. Like, we want to be authentic. We're going to kind of like, we want, we want everything to succeed in the space. It's for yeah. all, everyone's interest. And I know I, I love like, I mean, working with, I mean, even bringing client, new, new people into an industry and a, whether it be motorsports or in esports right. and gaming, bringing that in and highlighting and showing them how what's the best way to do it, using best practices and doing that follow up, and also making sure that they're aligning with the right people. I mean, because it is it is a fragmented space as we talked about. Yeah, and it, I mean, it sounds like with your background and your expertise of building, nurturing relationships, it sounds like Pivot is a perfect fit for you because that is their attitude with their corporate partners and their clients. Oh, yeah. Is that right? It's, it's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, man, I, I so appreciate you joining me here on the man, DLC Drop Podcast. me here. It's between two ferns I'm seeing in uh, there. It's, it's unofficially the next to one fern podcast <laughs> I is, love it. is what I call it. But yeah, you know, there's a lot to unpack here. I think uh, the audience is going to love this episode. A lot about how to build and nurture these relationships Some some insights on traditional sports and esports, and definitely everybody who's watching this or listening, reach out to John Younger, Pivot Agency. He's somebody who can really help you make sense of the space. Well, thank you for saying that, John. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Future I Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 